Our Father God, we thank you that we're here to worship you, to praise your name, to hear from you in your word and in our hearts. We just pray that you would guide us now and speak to every heart. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Please be seated. Please turn with me, if you would, to Second Samuel chapter 5. Second Samuel chapter 5. I'd like to ask that you put slide number one up, please. There are 25 verses. We're going to look at them all. Let me say at the outset that this, what we're going to read about tonight was a great day in the history of Israel, one of the greatest days ever in the history of Israel, because they anointed God's personal choice for king. Try to put it in perspective. What if we knew for sure that God had picked a man to head the United States of America, that he personally had picked him and put him in office? Would we be happy? Would we be rejoicing if we knew for sure it was God's man? Now, no, I'm not casting any aspersions on our present president. I pray for him. We should all do that. And uh, God tells us to do that. He could certainly not have allowed him to take office if he had wanted to. But this was a great day in Israel. That's what we're talking about. David was unanimously anointed king of all of Israel by all of the tribes of Israel. They were of one mind, and they anointed David king. So first of all, we're going to see that he was anointed unanimously. It wasn't uh, a divided Israel who, who anointed him. It was unanimous. And then in verses 4 and 5, we're going to see the patience of David. And then in 6 through 10, how David and the army that God gave him conquered Jerusalem. And then in verses 11 through 16, David realizes why God had made him to be the king of Israel. And then finally, 17 through 25, with God's direction and help, he defeats the Philistines. Let's take a look, first of all, at the fact that he was, he was anointed unanimously by all the tribes of Israel. Now, there were, actually, David had been anointed three times by this time. The first time, he was anointed by Samuel. Let's take a look at that. Turn in your Bibles, if you would, please. Flip over to 1 Samuel 16, just back a few pages. 1 Samuel 16. I'm going to read 13 verses, and please, if you would, follow. 1 Samuel 16, beginning at verse 1. Now the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I am sending you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself a king among his sons. It's interesting that he was from Bethlehem. And Samuel said in verse 2, How can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. But the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Then invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. You shall anoint for me the one I name to you. So Samuel did what the Lord said and went to Bethlehem. 
And the elders of the town were troubled at his coming and said, Do you come peaceably? And he said, Peaceably. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. And so it was when they came that he looked at Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or his physical stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Thus Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. And Samuel said to Jesse, Are all of the young men here? Then he said, There remains yet the youngest, and there he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and bring him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. So he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy with bright eyes and good-looking. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel arose and went to Ramah. And then the second time David was anointed was by the men of Judah, just the tribe of Judah. And you can see that in 2 Samuel chapter 2, verse 4. I'll read you the verse. Then the men of Judah came, and, they, and there they anointed David king over the house of Judah. And then finally, what we talked about just a few minutes ago, finally he was anointed the third time by all the twelve tribes of Israel. Now, why was David the rightful king that Israel had been waiting for? For the simple reason that God said so. In 1 Samuel 16, 1, I already read this to you, I'll repeat it. He said to Samuel, fill your horn with oil and go. I'm sending you to Jesse, for I have provided myself a king among his sons. Now, it's interesting that the 12 tribes of Israel knew that David was supposed to be God's man. Look at verse, we're going to look at verses 1 through 3. Then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and spoke, saying, Indeed, we are your bone and your flesh. Also in time past, when Saul was king over us, you were the one who led Israel out and brought them in. And the Lord said to you, You shall shepherd my people Israel and be ruler over Israel. Isn't it interesting that all of the twelve tribes from Dan to Beersheba were convinced that David was God's man? Therefore, in verse 3, all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron, and King David made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel. Now, how many men came to David this day? What kind of men were they? Well, you have to look into the book of 1 Chronicles to see that. And I'm going to share that with you. It's 1 Chronicles chapter 12. It says in verse 22, For at that time they came to David day by day, to help him until it was a great army, like the army of God. So it took quite a number of days for so many men to come from all over Israel. Let me tell you how many came from each tribe. 
from the tribe of Judah, 6,800 men came. What kind of men were they? It says that they were bearing shield and spear, and they were armed for war. From Simeon, 7,100, mighty men of valor, fit for war. From Levi, 4,600. From Aaron, 3,700. From Benjamin, 3,000. From Ephraim, 20,800. And it said they were mighty men of valor. They were famous men. And then the half-tribe of Manasseh sent 18,000, designated by name to come and make David king. And then Issachar, it doesn't actually give the exact number, but it says that there were 200 chiefs uh, and all of their brethren were at their command. We're not sure how many brethren, but there were at least 200 chiefs. And then Zebulun, there were 50,000. And it says of these men that they were expert in war with all weapons of war, stout-hearted men who could keep ranks. From Naphtali, 38,000 came with shield and spear. And from the tribe of Dan, 28,600. And it says that they could keep battle formation. From Asher, 40,000 who could go out to war. From Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, 120,000 men armed for battle with every kind of weapon of war. Now, if you were to add that up, you'd find out that that's 340,800 mighty men came to anoint David that day. These were strong men, the Bible says, godly men, faithful men, men who could be trusted, men who could be counted on when the going got tough. You know, the Bible tells us all over the place that God is looking for men just like these men. Let me speak to myself and to my brothers in Christ who are here tonight for just a minute. And sisters, I hope you won't mind. Let me ask you, men, do you love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength? Are you God's man at home? Are you the kind of man that your wife respects? Are you the kind of man that she happily is willing to submit to? Do your children look up to you as a man of God? Do your neighbors know where you stand? How about the people at work? In Ezekiel, God said it like this. He said, I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it but I found none. That's Ezekiel 22.30. When men like Billy Graham first read this verse as a young man, men like Jim Elliott that you've heard about who died by the, at the hand of the Alkian Indians when he was in his 20s, and other men of God like Moody, like J. Vernon McGee, and other men whose names I can't even think of right now, when they read this verse, they said a prayer. They said, God, let me be that man. Let me be that man to stand in the gap for the land. Our God is looking for a man. His eyes run to and fro in patient searching for that one through whom his strength to show. A man, he said, give me a man of faith perfect in heart. A man through whom I'll show my hand and serving strength in part. Counsel and league were offered God with power of place and plan. Machinery large and iron strong. But God said, give me a man. Hell's aggressive power prevails. Relentlessly its hand strikes heavy, hard against us all. And God's answer is a man. 
His flashing eyes go to and fro, searching earth's breadth and length. Our God still seeks a yielded man through whom to show his strength. So men, I challenge you, I challenge myself, let us be that man. In 1 Chronicles 12, again, where I got those numbers, putting in at verse 38, it says, And all of these men of war who could keep ranks came to Hebron with a loyal heart to make David king over all Israel. And all the rest of Israel were of one mind to make David king. And there were there with David three days, eating and drinking, for their brethren had prepared for them. Moreover, those who were near to them from as far away as Issachar and Zebulun and Naphtali were bringing food on donkeys and camels, mules and oxen, provisions of flour and cakes of figs and cakes of raisins, wine and oil, oxen and sheep abundantly, for there was joy in Israel. Think about it. From Dan to Beersheba, from north to south, from south to north, with one heart, they made David king. What a time it must have been. If you think about it, doesn't God send joy into our hearts when we listen to him and do his will? There's absolutely no better place on this earth than in the center of God's will. That's exactly where these men were. And that's exactly why they were filled with such joy. In verses 4 and 5, we're going to see the patience of David. It says in that, those, that passage, David was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 40 years. In Hebron, he reigned over Judah seven years and six months. And in Jerusalem, he reigned 30 and three years over all Israel and Judah. Think about his patience. He waited at least 12 years from his first anointing until he became the king of Judah. He was approximately, we're not sure, approximately 18 years old when Samuel anointed him. Twelve years later, he was finally anointed the king of Judah. So he was, he was uh, 30 when he was anointed king of Judah. He waited seven and a half more years before being, becoming Israel's king. I made a mistake. Twelve and 18, I guess it is 30, isn't it? So uh, from that time that he was anointed by Samuel until now, 20 more years passed. So David had to wait. He withstood numerous attempts on his life by Saul during those years. He had to hide amongst the Philistines those years just to stay alive. He spoke about these years of waiting when he wrote the Psalms. And one of those Psalms is Psalm 40, which says, I waited patiently for the Lord. And he inclined to me and heard my cry. He also brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock and established my steps. He has put a new song in my mouth. Praise to our God. Many will see it and fear and will trust in the Lord. Think about it, brothers and sisters. When we suffer without complaining, when we show patience and faith in the midst of trials like David did. As David said in this psalm, many will see it and fear and will trust in the Lord. Are you going through a hard time right now? I know some of my brothers and sisters are. Ask God to increase your faith and to give you a song in the midst of your trial. Some of you know who Terry Clark is, not the country western Terry Clark, but Terry Clark, the Christian singer. He's got a song called Happy. 
And it's, it talks about what we've been talking about. It says, happy is the man whose help comes from the Lord. He's just a player in the band. Most say they can't, but he thinks he can. When all the others whine and cry, he'll pick it up and give it a try because he's happy. There may be times when he gets down. He may get wet, but he won't drown because he's happy. (laughs) Happy is the man who knows the Lord. You know, I, I couldn't help but think of two happy men as I studied this week, Paul and the eunuch from Ethiopia. If you recall, Paul was put in prison more than one time because he preached the gospel, but he always had God's attitude when he was, suff- when he was suffering, when he was in jail, and when he was out of jail. But if you recall, when he was put in jail in Philippi, the scripture says that they put him in the inner prison and they put his feet in the stocks. And the Bible says at at midnight, he and Silas were singing praises to God, and the prisoners heard them. But what about when he was before trial, before Agrippa, shortly before he went to Rome? It says in Acts 26, Then Agrippa said to Paul, You are permitted to speak for yourself. So Paul stretched out his hand and answered for himself. He said, I think myself happy. King Agrippa, because today I shall answer for myself before you concerning all the things of which I am accused by the Jews. And he proceeded to tell him about the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And then what about that eunuch we talked about? We know that the eunuch was in Samaria, and God said, Philip, I want you to go to Samaria. So Philip went to Samaria, and when he Uh, came, God said, go join that eunuch over there who's riding along in his chariot. He had come for the Passover. Now he's going back to Ethiopia. He was an officer in Queen Candace's court. And he was reading from the book of Isaiah in his chariot. And so Philip ran beside him and said, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I understand unless somebody explains it to me? So Philip got up in the chariot and he read from Isaiah and, when, and uh, he explained to him what it, that was all about. And when they came to a body of water, the eunuch said, What does hinder me now to be baptized? And Philip said, If you believe with all of your heart, you may. So he said, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe. So they went down into the water, and he baptized him. And it says, So when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away. Wouldn't you like to have seen that? And so that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. The happiest people in the world are those people whose God is the Lord. If God is your God tonight, you should be happy. All you have to do is serve God with all of your heart and just watch what happens. Let me tell you about two women who lived in the 1800s who suffered a great deal but were happy all of their lives. Many of you have heard of these women. One of them was Fanny Crosby. She lived from 1820 to 1915, so for 95 years. When she was just six weeks old, an infant, she caught a cold and developed inflammation in her eyes. The family physician was not available, and a quack came in his place. See, they had quacks back in those days, too. And he recommended mustard plaster to be put on her eyes as treatment. The botched procedure blinded her for the rest of her life. 
Her father died when she was one year old. She was raised by her mother and her grandmother. But these godly women grounded uh, Fanny Crosby in Christian principles, helping her, for example, to memorize long passages from the Bible. And when Fanny began to be a woman, she became a teacher, a musician, and a writer. She wrote over 8,000 hymns. God help me with this one. This is the one of mine that's favorite that Fanny, Fanny wrote. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God. Born of his spirit, washed in his blood. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. Now, Fanny was never bitter about her disability. At the young age of eight years old, she wrote these verses about her condition. She said, oh, what a happy soul I am. Although I cannot see, I am resolved that in this world contented I will be. How many blessings I enjoy that other people don't. To weep and sigh because I'm blind, I cannot and I won't. She later remarked at the end of her life, she said, it seems intended by the blessed providence of God that I should be blind all my life. And I thank him for the dispensation. If perfect earthly sight were offered to me tomorrow, I would not accept it. I might not have sung hymns to the praise of God if I had been distracted by the beautiful and interesting things in this world. She knew heartache, but she did not allow it to sidetrack her from her calling. For instance, she had the pleasure of marrying a godly man when she was 38 years old, and they were together almost until she died. He died before she did. Now, they had one child, and this little child died when he was an infant. So she had that sorrow come into her life. But she still did not get, let it get to her and wrote all of those hymns and praised God during the whole time. Now, the other woman I want to talk about is a woman by the name of Frances Havergal, who lived in England. She lived uh, 1836 to 1879. She died when she was just 43 years old. And the writer here to this article says she was to England what Fanny Crosby was to the United States. Frances Havergal, for her 43 years, was frail and in frail health all of her life. Once she spent eight months in bed with typhoid fever. She had tremendous financial challenges for all the years of her life. She published a book of poems only to find out that she wasn't going to get any money from the publisher because he went bankrupt, and she had to find a way to have an income. But yet, even through everything, and she rejoiced at little things like saying, I feel good enough to be able to walk down the stairs today. And yet she wrote this famous hymn, Like a River Glorious. And God help me to read this. Like a river glorious is God's perfect peace, over all victorious in its bright increase. Perfect yet it floweth fuller every day, perfect yet it groweth deeper all the way. Stayed upon Jehovah, hearts are fully blessed, finding as he promised perfect peace and rest. Hidden in the hollow of his blessed hand, never foe can follow, never traitor stand. Not a surge of worry, not a shade of care, not a blast of hurry touched the spirit there. Stayed upon Jehovah, 
hearts are fully blessed, finding, as he promised, perfect peace and rest. Every joy or trial falleth from above, traced upon our dial by the Son of love. We may trust him fully, all for us to do. Those who trust him fully find him wholly true. One day she wrote a letter to Fanny Crosby. She couldn't go see her. She was all across the sea. She was in England, and Fanny was in the United States. And these are the words that she wrote to Fanny Crosby. What we're talking about is joy in the midst of suffering. Joy even though you have a tough time. This is what she said. Dear blind sister across the sea, an English heart goes forth to thee. We are linked by a cable of faith and song, flashing bright sympathy swift along. One in the east and one in the west, singing for him whom our souls love best. Singing for Jesus, telling his love all the way to our home above. Where the severing sea with its restless tide never shall hinder, never shall divide. Sister, what will our meeting be when our hearts shall sing and our eyes shall see? Brothers and sisters, if you don't have a a happy heart, ask God for a happy heart. He likes to give them out, and he gives them out freely. In verses 6 through 10, we see that David conquers Israel. I want to read to you one of my favorite commentators, what he said about this, verses 6 through 10. He said, one of King David's first military acts as the unanimous king over all of Israel, was to capture the fortress on Mount Zion from the Jebusites. These heathen warriors considered their city so invincible that it could be defended by the lame and the blind. You're going to see in the text that they said that. David detected a weak point in the city's water system. He ordered his men to climb up through an underground water course which the Jebusites used to bring water to the city from a fountain below. The strategy was successful, and Jebus became Jerusalem, also called the city of David, the capital of the nation of Israel. Now, I have a slide on that uh, underground water course, and I think it's slide number four or five. I think it's number five. Would you put that one up? I skipped ahead. Sorry about that, brothers. I think it's number five. She's finding it. Be patient. The the archaeologists have undercovered this. This is the actual water tunnel that they went up to capture that portion of what later became Jerusalem. Look at verse 6 now. Let's go to the text, 2 Samuel 5, verse 6. And the king and his men went to Jerusalem against the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land, who spoke to David, saying, You shall not come in here, but the blind and the lame will repel you, thinking David cannot come in here. Nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion, that is, the city of David. Now David said on that day, Whoever climbs up by the way of the water shaft and defeats the Jebusites, the lame and the blind, who are hated by David's soul, he shall be chief and captain. Therefore they say, The blind and the lame shall not come into the house. 
Then David dwelt in the stronghold and called it the city of David. And David built all around from Milo and inward. So David went on to become great, and the Lord God of hosts was with him. You know, Jerusalem was just a small town in Israel until David captured it and really made it something. He and Solomon in particular made it quite a scene to see. Now, if you happen to go to Israel with the church this year, you're actually going to see that shaft that you saw on the screen, and you're going to walk in it. For those of you who may not know it, the city of David actually has a website. And uh, it's, it's pretty outstanding, as a matter of fact. It shows a number of scenes of what was the city of David, historically, and some drawings and like that. Uh, let me just read to you from that website. It says, The city of David is the original hilltop upon which King David dedicated ancient Jerusalem as his capital 3,000 years ago. Deep underground, the city of David is revealing to archaeologists some of the most exciting finds of the ancient world. While above ground, the site is a vibrant center of activity and popular tourist attraction for families, complete with visitor center, 3D exhibition, and guided tours through the excavations that include Warren's shaft that you saw, ancient water systems such as Hezekiah's tunnel, and the second temple, the Shiloh pool. Today, the story of the city of David continues. It begins with a breathtaking observation point overlooking biblical Jerusalem on which visitors uh, can see 3,800 years back in time to the days of Abraham when the first foundations of the city were laid. The journey quickly heads underground to some of the newest excavations at the site. Here, while exploring the recently evacuated excavated fortresses and passageways, visitors relive King David's conquest of the Jebusite city as described in the second book of Samuel, which is our text tonight. The underground tour finally ends at the Gihon Spring, where the major water source of Jerusalem for over a thousand years, for over 1,000 years, and where, according to the book of Kings, Solomon was anointed king. Visitors seeking adventure can bring flashlights and wade through the spring in King Hezekiah's 2,700-year-old water tunnel, one of the wonders of early engineering. A tour of the city of David brings visitors face-to-face with the personalities and places of the Bible. As such, this is the only place on earth where the only guidebook needed is the Bible itself. And then at the end of the website, it says, we look forward to seeing you in the city of David. Now, I've been to Jerusalem twice, and I have to say it was a wonderful experience to walk where Jesus and the prophets and the apostles walked. But you know, now that I've been to the earthly Jerusalem, I'm really looking forward to the new Jerusalem. I want to read you that familiar passage. Now, when David comes back, you know that he's going to be in the book of Revelation, and but eventually he'll get to chapter 21, but it'll be a while. So I'm going to read it tonight. Chapter 21 says, verses 2 through 7, Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven 
saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. I want to pause for a second and tell you about a wedding that happened at when we were in uh, VHM. We actually did it at the Seventh-day Adventist Church on Cayuga. But one of the early brothers in our church, many of you know him and his sweet wife, Joe Whitty. Joe and Melissa. I remember that right? The memory is going. Anyway, Melissa looked especially beautiful. She's a beautiful woman, but she really looked something that day. And one of the, the groomsmen had never seen her. He was one of Joe's best friends, but he had never seen Melissa. Well, he walked the bridesmaids down the aisle, and then he was the last man, the last bridesmaid to come. He was, She was on his arm, so he was in the aisle, the last guy, and the first guy to see Melissa come out of the room where she was dressing. And he looked at her, and he, his eyes got as big as saucers, and he turned around to Joe up at the front waiting for her, and he said, wow. <laughs> I think we're going to do more than that when we see the bride of Christ come down from heaven, the new Jerusalem. Or the new Jerusalem, which is adorned as a bride, is adorned for her time. We are the bride of Christ. Taking back, looking back at verse 3, I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his, his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these are words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. And he who overcomes shall inherit all things. I will be his God, and he shall be my son. By the way, the dimensions of the new Jerusalem are a whole lot bigger than Jerusalem and Israel. The dimensions, you'll read in Revelation that the dimensions are, it's 1,500 miles wide, 1,500 miles long, and 1,500 miles tall. Can you imagine? And we're going to be zipping around in that new Jerusalem, and it's going to be something that we can't even describe. What will it be like? And what the best part of all is that Jesus will be the light of the new Jerusalem. And then we're... Uh, in verses 11 through 16, David realizes why God appointed him king. Look at verse 11. Then Hiram, king of Tyre, sent messengers to David and cedar trees and carpenters and masons, and they built David a house. So David knew that the Lord had established him as king over Israel and that he had exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people Israel. David found out that God made him king for the sake of of his people Israel. You know, God always has his people in mind when he does something. You know, David likes to say that I am always on my mind. I mean, you are always on your mind. But you know something even better? You are always on God's mind. The Bible teaches us that. In Jeremiah 31, verse 3, it says, The Lord has appeared of old to me, saying, Yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. 
Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. And then Jesus, when he spoke to Peter and commissioned him, he said, Peter, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. In Matthew, when Jesus gave the great commission, please think of it perhaps like you've never thought of it before with God thinking about all the people that are going to be saved. He said, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. You know, the Bible says that when we stand before the Lord, the books will be open. I don't know how many books there are, but there is a book of life. And the Bible says that those whose names are not written in the book of life will be cast into the lake of fire. Now think about it. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ today, your name is in the book of life. I don't think God had to wait to write this book. I think that book is written in heaven, and your name and all the names of everyone who shall ever be born, who hasn't been born, who's going to be a Christian, is in that book. And God, I don't think he has to turn the pages of the book to think about us individually. I think he knows who we are. He knows us by name. He knows our very heartbeat. And we are always on his mind. And that's why David was crowned king of all Israel for the sake of God's people, Israel. And Peter said it this way, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So when you lay down on your pillow tonight, just remember that God is looking at you. His eyes are on you. And they are eyes of favor because he loves you so much. And then last but not least, we see in verses 17 through 25 that David, with God's help, defeats the Philistines. Let's look at verse 17. And when the Philistines heard that they had anointed David king over Israel... All the Philistines went up to search for David, and David heard of it and went down to the stronghold. Now, you know, David hid amongst the Philistines running from Saul, and I'm sure they knew that and remembered that, and they thought, that rascal who hid, now he's the king of all Israel, we're going to go get him. And they, and they heard about it and went down to the stronghold, and they said, we're going to get him. I'm sure they were, they were quite sure that they were going to defeat him. Verse 18, the Philistines also went and deployed themselves in the valley of Rephaim. So David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up against the Philistines? Will you deliver them into my hand? And the Lord said to David, Go up, for I will doubtless deliver the Philistines into your hand. So David went to Baal. Perazim, and David defeated them there, and he said, The Lord has broken through my enemies before me like a breakthrough of water. Therefore, he called the name of that place Baal Perazim. And they left their images there, and David and his men carried them away. It's interesting. They brought their gods with them to help them in this battle, and they were defeated, and they left their gods there because they didn't do them any good. And David and his men carried them away. Then the Philistines, they didn't learn their lesson. Verse 22, then the Philistines went up once again and deployed themselves in the valley of Rephaim. Therefore David inquired of the Lord and he said, you shall not go up. 
circle around behind them and come upon them in front of the mulberry trees. And it shall be when you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the mulberry trees, then you shall advance quickly. For then the Lord will go out before you to strike the camp of the Philistines. And David did so as the Lord commanded him, and he drove back the Philistines from Geba as far as Gezer. Not the old Gezer, but Gezer. (laughs) Now, I have no idea what that sound in the mulberry trees was. Whatever it was, it was God. It could have been angels. I don't know. You know, I don't know of anyone who does know. But we know it was God in charge. So God says, when you hear marching in the tops of the mulberry trees, advance quickly. Because the Lord is going to go out before you and strike the camp of the Philistines. Think about this battle, these two battles. Before both battles, what did David do? He inquired of God, what should I do? He said, what are your instructions? Each time God, in answer to his request, gave him very specific instructions, not vague at all. What a lesson for us today. Think about it. In our lifetimes, we face many important decisions, some very important, some not quite as important, but we face many important decisions. I have an idea that in our midst tonight, some of us are in the midst of an important decision. Ask God for a solution. You know, we we seek answers in so many different places, and we wonder why we don't always get a good solution. When God is ready, you know, Peter said, and I think that's pretty good authority, don't you? He said, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. So he's waiting for you to call. He's waiting for you to ask for the solution. Now, God has spoken many times about what to do with the issues of life. I chose just two of these places. I'd like to read them to you. The first one is in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 12. It says, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. So you have God's Holy Spirit, and that's how you can know what God is saying to you. And then the other place, uh, I could have chosen one of many, but the second one I chose was Psalm 116, where David said again, I love the Lord. Because he has heard my voice and my supplications. Because he has inclined his ear to me. Therefore will I call upon him as long as I live. The pains of death surrounded me. And the pangs of Sheol laid hold of me. I found trouble and sorrow. Then I called upon the name of the Lord. O Lord, I implore you, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Yes, our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. I was brought low, and he saved me. Return to your rest, O my soul, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you, for you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, and my feet from falling. You know, we serve a good God. We serve an almighty God. We serve a God who knows the end from the beginning, 
and he has the wisdom that we all need for everything in this life, for every day, every breath that we live. So let's stop going to mankind. Let's go to God when we need wisdom. Let's be like David who went to God when he went to battle. Because whether we realize or not, we are in a battle. The Bible says that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God to the tearing down of strongholds. And if you were here, I think it was last Wednesday, or was it last Sunday, when Bill Holdridge spoke about the armor of God, whenever that was, he did a great job, and I could vividly see that armor. Well, just remember that God is our source, and he's the solution to all of our needs, all of our sorrows, and all of our joys. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this passage tonight. And we pray that you will help us to take home with us what you want us to remember. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's stand and worship God.